This is an EO APAC production, and the Phoenix is rising. Hello and welcome everybody to the first ever episode of Phoenix Rising, where we go around the Asia-Pacific region in EO to talk to members and talk to them about are they surviving or are they thriving? And really, what have they done in these last nine months to 12 months? 2020 has been really crazy for everybody. So today, I want to talk to my first guest, which is somebody who I am really, truly connected to. Why? Because he is obviously my forum mate. Today, I am more than happy to welcome my good friend, Robin Nija. Hey, Robin. Hi, Ray. Thanks for having me. Thanks. That was a very, very enthusiastic introduction. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today. Today, Robin, we wanted to talk to you uh, about uh, your business, obviously, and really what has been happening in the last nine months. Because I think we can honestly say that uh, it's not been going as smooth for every single person. But there are people in the membership who has been thriving. And, you know, I've had the privilege to talk to you uh, many times, even during forum meetings and out of forum meetings. So I just wanted you to share some of the stories here today. So firstly, Robin, could you please share with the audience um, your company? What do you do? Hi, so uh, I, I own and operate a security company in Malaysia, a private security company in Malaysia called Cisco Sundar and Berhad. Uh, we are Malaysia's second oldest security company. I'm a second generation uh, leader of the company and a proud EO member. So Cisco, what is the main business in Cisco? And, and you've, been, you've been around, you're a second generation. So this company is not new. So what has been what has this company been doing for the last um, uh, number of years? So actually, to, to answer that question accurately, I, I'd have to reflect upon the history of this company. So we were founded in 1977. Um, and in Malaysia, the only format for security between 1977 to pretty much the mid-1990s the mid was guarding services. That uh, is, is primarily the main pillar of the company. Um, and I would have to say in Malaysia, it's almost become synonymous that a security company is a guarding company. Mm. Mm. So basically you supply labor. Can I say that you supply labor and manpower uh, with the, in the form of security guards to businesses? Very traditionally, I would say that would be the, 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 the correct way to refer to the industry. Okay. Though I think that we are trying to differentiate ourselves as a company from that format. Mm. Okay. So I guess the main topic or the question here in this series is uh, when the pandemic hit. And this was back uh, when we were went into lockdown early in the year. Uh, did that affect the main business? Well, first and foremost, uh, under the lockdown conditions in Malaysia, we had some, some companies that were exempt from uh, the cessation of operations mm -hmm. uh, because we were classified under essential services. So... Um, Blessed as we were, we were classified as essential services and we did not experience any shutdown in our services and continue to operate. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I would have to say that during the first nine months of uh, 2020, mm -hmm. uh, we seem to have uh, more or less grown by about 18%. So the effect was not much seen in your main supply or the main business. Am I right to say that? I have to say that no, we haven't been impacted in the way that a lot of other members that I've I feel that I would have yeah. to shut down my restaurants, haven't had to shut down. I'm not an airline that can't fly or a hotel that can't open. Uh, we are pretty much running day to day. So if your business is running 
close to normal. Would you say that uh, there is really no reason to change it? No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I realized that uh, the only reason that we were were able to not be impacted by the shutdown was because we were lucky to be in the right industry. Mm. You know, and uh, it, it is it is uh, uh, incumbent upon a leader, I feel, to to notice when something is lucky, but to 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 quickly imbibe the learning that comes with that luck into the organization skill set. Mm -hmm. You know. So uh, we, we, around the month of March and February, were looking at the, the spectrum of, of industries where you know, there was the left to right of businesses that were most severely impacted negatively and positively, all right? Um, and it remains the fact that although we are an industry that did not experience shutdown conditions, we nonetheless operate within an ecosystem of, of a customer base that is otherwise suffering. Mm. you know, in terms of, of their own sales and their own monetary volume. So some vulnerabilities have crept into our ecosystem via the client structure. And we've had to be, uh, we've had to be aware about how we plan our sales structure for 2021, for example. And I had the privilege to understand this journey of yours. But maybe for the audience that's listening here today, what were the steps did you take? Did you start a new company? Did you, what did you execute with, the, with what you just shared? I think the, the first thing is that I have to go back to what we do uh, conventionally, mm -hmm. which is so we're in November right now. And uh, in, in any given November, in any given year, we're really kind of planning our budgets for the year ahead, uh, including our sales strategies and, and trying to, to make some attempt to measure um, how we have done and anticipate and forecast the future for the, for the immediate year ahead. So um, what, what was very typical for us is as a, as a security company uh, that has a very strong guarding unit, uh, we tend to have a really good correlation between the number of grade A office, uh, commercial office uh, space entering into the market in terms of per square foot. And that really kind of correlates to where our market's going to be in the year ahead in terms of growth, et cetera, right? So we, we've been kind of safely following that, uh, that correlation. We wouldn't say it's a causation, but there is a model for about eight years now. And uh, this was the first time when we felt, I think that if we plan our future based on that, it would be a bit risky, mm. you know? So we decided to, to, to revert to the spectrum of industries that were rising and falling. Because what it meant was that we, we chased the opportunities of, uh, of open markets, you know, so more, more office buildings coming in basically represent a, a larger market volume to, to kind of play with, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that, has, that has turned out to be a sound decision. Mm -hmm. Instead, what we did is we restructured uh, our strategy to focus more on a customer base and a market segment that was experiencing that thrive while slowly applying less uh, attention in terms of trying to penetrate traditional markets. Uh, like like office space, condos, etc. So a, a lot of shopping malls, for example, are still are not, they're not experiencing revenue drops. But uh, there's no new office space really opening up in large amounts in in Klang Valley. Uh, we already have a glut. The property market is definitely experiencing some sort of uh, uh, you know capitalism uh, mm. right now. So um, we, we stayed away from that metric and, and instead we dived into what we thought were the growth markets, uh, which in Malaysia really was the rubber glove manufacturers. Mm. You know, so we, we really looked at our traditional bag of tricks 
okay, which, you know, we have all these services and we said, how is it that we can uh, apply more of these services specific to a market that was actually experiencing um, an un unknown rate of growth, you know, and when you deal with a customer like that, actually the only thing that they are talking to you about is can you get it done? You know, they, they don't really want to argue too much about the sale. They just want to stay open and operate. Um, and if you look at the news today, um, you're, you're probably reviewing things like, like we have a very large, I won't mention it, very large rubber glove manufacturer in Malaysia that's experiencing shutdowns because of a uh, lack of COVID safety uh, practices, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, whatever amount of money that they may have saved from not really putting in the right measures uh, has really come back to, to, to hurt their bottom line because by not operating, they cannot experience their top line. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we, we are really looking for customers right now where we can impact their top line. You know, and this is actually a, a fundamental redress of uh, something I learned from a fellow, a fellow member of our chapter in a similar industry, Mr. Simon Lim, where he always taught me how to, to, to run a business that had a very measurable impact on the customer's bottom line. But in this case, we flipped it around, and I guess if you want to call it pivot, you can, where it's not really about saving them cost or, or saving them time. It's about allowing them to stay open so that their sales amount can, can, can be materialized. So to answer your question, uh, what it was is that we, we, we tried to understand your typical SWOT analysis. Like what are the pain points the customer is experiencing? And how can we solve those problems? What are the, what are the opportunities the customer is experiencing? And how can we ensure that nothing threatens that, right? And to kind of sum it up, we decided that this year, the, the real skill set to have was COVID safety. So we did start a new business. And uh, that business has gone through a very volatile up and down thing because the, the COVID uh, ecosystem of products, services, and demands has been very volatile, very full of unknowns and, and a bit of guesswork at times. Yeah. Uh, rules and regulations are constantly changing. But most important, actually, the real impact that it has had on us is the constant learning from that has allowed us to become a better business in our core pillar. That kind of sounds to me like going back to the fundamentals of demand and supply. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know me well. You know me really, really well, right? You know, but when you say demand and supply, you're really talking to me. You've, you've listened to me over many forums, I guess. You know, mm. uh, I don't believe in pushing, pushing a challenge uphill, mm. right? You know, but the correct positioning and understanding where the demands are, um, you don't necessarily have to be the absolute most competitive unit in the business. Because the, the, when demand exceeds supply, it's the customers that are competing to, to get your attention. But along that topic, right? So if we look at demand and supply, we are essentially saying to ourselves that we need to do a business or we need to provide a product which there is a demand for. If the needs are there, the customers is wanting it, then your business should not fail. Mm. But does that mean that a company or a business, for example, if I was an events company, which the whole industry is totally wiped out. Do I then just need to look at demand and supply and say, hey, let's go into that. But I may not have the skill sets to do that. I may not have the knowledge to do that. But let's just go into that because there is a demand for it. No, I'm definitely not saying that. I mean, I'm, I'm notoriously known for, for being quoted as saying, if you really want to make money, start a, start a corner restaurant in Malaysia. Mm. You know, um, and if, if you've got a passion for the business and you can sort out the problem, then that's, that's, that's a lot of money really quickly, a lot of cash as well, right? 
uh, and I'm not talking about an upper end restaurant. I'm talking about the typical typical corner, uh, what in Malaysia we call the mama restaurants. Mm-hmm. I know some of them are my customers, so <laughs> I know who who is generating cash by the by the bagfuls. Um, but no, I'm not saying that. Um, and and to to kind of uh, address this, I think I think that there's many many ways to to make a market, but I think that you have to have a skill set and you have to have a passion to stay in it. You will see that there were a lot of opportunities that very quickly ventured into, for example, sanitization services, yeah. which we also did. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was a big thing for a while. Um, we we made a lot of uh, uh, gains in the month of March and uh, in February. February and March, we were making very quick gains on that. Mm-hmm. But by the time we went into lockdown, the revenues for that uh, fell to virtually nil in April. Mm. Okay. Um, and I think in that one month, uh, we saw the volatility in pricing, where we studied the current offerings in the market, and they were they were they were going for about three ringgit fifty cents per square foot mm-hmm. to about five ringgit fifty cents per square foot, mm-hmm. and most of them were actually uh, contractors that uh, did sanitization for high bio risk areas mm-hmm. or sterile areas like hospitals or whatever. So they were very 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 serious people that probably didn't have a very large volume of work. And they had to price their their market uh, market structure, uh, their price products in that way, in order to to overwhelm their overheads. I guess mm. you know the volume must not have been that big. But in in November, we're now at the end of November. Um, the bottom bottom of the market pricing is eight cents per square foot. Oh wow! Yeah, so it it has really tumbled, right? Um, and everywhere you go, someone's a sanitizing service these days. And we we obviously whilst whilst we went into that. Um, we also kind of reflected upon our core values and our core positioning as an organization to our customers and to our market, right? Mm. So what it is, is that, you know, if you reflect upon the early part of my, my session with you, where you asked me about my core business, and I said, it's the same thing as the garden company in Malaysia, right? Mm. So I don't actually have that mindset. And luckily we have had a cultural pivot in this company that is now a good a good four years or so old, right? I'd have to say, but since the since more or less since I met you, mm. all right. So wow. so in part, thank you for some of your your help along the way. Okay, uh, the the cultural pivot was the repositioning of the idea that we were a guarding company, and we repositioned ourselves as a security company. Mm-hmm. Okay, which initially meant that you know guarding is just a methodology. There's other ways to do it. There's investigative services, there's uh, CCTV, there's technology, etc. And then actually, we also kind of spun that around again last year, just in time, where we said, actually, what we are is a company that helps our customers manage risk. Mm. Okay. So as long as we were able to align with that mission statement, or we help our customers manage risk by doing this, by doing that, etc., uh, it all kind of fit into our strategy. Mm. You know, and we were able to relate to our own customers very successfully because they understood that when we speak to them, we're speaking to them on the provision of helping them try to reduce the threats that are coming their way and mitigate their risk with a good operational plan. So, for example, like I said to you, I mean, the, the price of sanitization has dropped from five fifty to to eight bucks per square foot. But I can tell you, not many people can explain to you why the pricing has dropped. You know, it's not really like one of those one one product mix where 
more people went in and it was always profitable at eight cents per square foot. But rather, it is the case that they started using different compounds, different chemicals, different equipment. And uh, unfortunately, in Malaysia, there are actually no standards uh, at the KKM Ministry of Health uh, under Syria or anything uh, to, to assure a customer that what they are purchasing is actually guaranteed by some sort of standard. So people were just making decisions regarding what they thought sanitization was. Mm-hmm. To share with you, um, the worst we have encountered is it was actually an events company, ironically, who decided to, to diversify into sanitization. Okay. All right. And what they had amongst their list of equipment was those fogging machines that produce yep. like that misty effect in their events or whatever. Yep. You know, like those disco smoke yeah. type things, those right? Ice machines, kind of the, the dry yeah. ice. So actually, I think they, what they do is they, they heat up the, the compounds within and they produce that, you know, that foggy effect. And that's all meant to be very pizzazzy in, in an event, right? Mm-hmm. But what they were doing is that they were using those machines with a tank full of chlorops. Oh. So they were just pouring stuff in and just spraying it around. And they were calling that sanitization, right? Oh. And... The science of that is not entirely unsound because it definitely is going to kill the bacteria and the viruses and COVID and coronavirus. It's going to, it's going to do all that, right? It's, it's probably going to do kill, some damage towards your other things as well. Right? Yes, that's the problem, right? So before you pivot, make sure you know what you're doing. You know? And this is where I reflect upon our core uh, culture where we really try and understand and analyze what is going on. Mm-hmm. Because a very typical request from our own security customers is they will come to us under our due diligence department and risk management department and they would say something like, I need to conduct sanitization services. Actually, which one of these eight vendors is going to give me something that's not going to kill me? Mm. So um, we do that kind of investigation and due diligence, except we do it in a financial market because we're commercial crime investigators. right? So we said, okay, we know how to do this. But we need to replace our accountants, our lawyers with chemical engineers. And we need to funnel the same set of questions to them. So we did that. We brought in some biomedical students. We wanted some chemical guy, chemical engineers, and we got them to ask the questions because we didn't internalize that. And yeah, that worked. So now we understand the difference between the high-end residual nanocoating stuff that provides a protective layer for six months to the stuff that really is just, you know, Quite harmful, uh, you know, just just basically a little bit better than uh than 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 taking sanitizer and wiping the floors with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think you can go into any business and you can do it, but without the knowledge and the skill sets and the values to really want to make a difference to a customer, it is really not sustainable, right? So what you're trying to say is go back to your values, go back to the culture that you created and really ask ourselves, what are we doing to make it a better place for the customer? But I want to touch on one particular topic and one of the last few topics I want to ask you today is this. Whatever you've been saying in the guarding practices and this new business that you've gone into, uh, you're really helping people. But I imagine it as a very high-risk business for your staff or your employees because they're all kind of always in the front line, right? How does that relate back to your culture and core values? Because I know there must be some form of... um, uh, sense of fear. How do you manage that? If you'll allow me, just because I, I want to do the respect of answering your question, there's, there's three parts to that. 
And yes, you know, first and foremost, we did go back to our values and our values state that we're, we're family. And I think that we kind of forgot that part a little bit. So we were, and when I mean forgot, I don't mean that we didn't care. You know, we took measures, we, we had uh, early access because of our internalized skill set for COVID safety and COVID preparedness uh, to, to introduce better protection measures for our own staff. Uh, we went to work from home smoother. We had biosafety things. We were advising our customers how to conduct themselves at the office and also emphasizing that it was just not simply how you behave at the office, but how your crew and your team members behave whilst out of the office as well. I think all of this got us a little bit excited, you know, and you, you may have remembered me saying in a forum uh, where I quoted Winston Churchill, and I said, never waste a good crisis, you know. And I guess that was just really my, my mindset right up until the second wave. You know, so, you know, I think Malaysia was very blessed and we kind of like uh, the initial uh, barrage of infections was not as bad as what we, happened, what we experienced second time around. And unfortunately, we did get a group of people infected because we also run an operation in Sabah. So that was when I really felt differently about this. And I have to admit, it really felt different when it became personal. Mm. You know, suddenly there was things like, you know, money's not everything. And because I was, you know, we, we started a WhatsApp group with every single person that was uh, infected or at risk just to kind of keep them going, right? And initially, you know, no matter what you think about COVID, when you first get it, they all freak out. Right? They get really scared. Yeah. You know, they're really worried. And, you know, we, we had one particular case where uh, not only did a guy get it, but he, because he got it, he infected his wife and his kids, including a six-year-old as well. And unfortunately, uh, I believe the six-year-old was not asymptomatic. Most of them were, right? Most of them just kind of like, you know, toughed it out and coughed it out or whatever. But within about 10 days or so, they were just kind of back to, to, to whatever, you know. But there was one, one particular family member or a staff member that you know, she had high fevers. She never encountered pneumonia-like symptoms, uh, which is the definition of severe, but they have to ICU you. But she was definitely experiencing very bad headaches, dehydrations, body aches, and was very distressed as a child. And we felt every, every bit of that. You know? So I went through that. Um, and that's when I, I also kind of took a fresh look at the mental health of my company. And I realized that um, we had really gone into some sort of like hyper overdrive to capture the opportunities, but we were missing out on the, on the mental health checks of everybody as well. Because when I look around, I noticed that although the business is prospering, the culture is experiencing some element of drain. Uh, people are purposeful, but de-energized. I can't quite explain it. They're exhausted. Mm. You know, they're exhausted from the news. They're exhausted from the world being in the state that they're there, you know, and that that's also... Would you say it's a burnout? It definitely feels like a burnout. It feels as if there was some an opportunity that opened up for us. Mm. And uh, we, with high levels of energy, went into an attack formation to try and capture it as a company. And because we achieved some level of success from it, we became very focused on it as a business plan, mm. a business model, right? And I think that uh, it was so exciting that we forget that we're also just people, you know? And when, when the first uh, wave of, of second, second wave of infection set in and we were, inf we were affected as a company, uh, that also changed our, our mindset. Mm. And honestly, 
there's a part of me that really wants this season to just end. You know, it's been good for my business, but it hasn't been good for my company. Thanks so much, Robin, for, for sharing the story. I, I think my final question for you today is this. So hearing from your stories today and looking at the last nine months to probably almost 12 months, if you had to rewind this again, what would be the balance that you would take in this thriving slash surviving mindset moving forward? I guess, um, in, in, a, in a way, you're forcing me to revisit, revisit my mistakes. You know what I mean? Um, and there's definitely been plenty of those uh, I would have to say that um, because of our strong culture, you know, we, we survived a lot of the, the, the quick turnarounds, the quick pivots that we had to do in order to keep moving forward. But I think that one of the very big mistakes that we made is that we, we didn't really set up enough uh, infrastructure early enough to tackle the new opportunities. And now that I look back and I go, wow, if I really knew, and I'm not talking about four years ago, just four or five months ago, if I had the kind of information that I had now, we really could have really ridden this black swan event like a, like a wave. And we've definitely captured some level of that success, right? But I think we lost a lot of time uh, trying to figure out what we were doing. And by the time that we finally figured out what we were doing, it wasn't the, the monumental success that some people had experienced. Also, though, I will never forget that at the end of the day, companies about people already. Thank you so much, my friend, for spending uh, the last 15 to 20 minutes to talk to me today and sharing really true, honestly, and uh, you know, being vulnerable uh, for, for other EO members. And I hope everyone has uh, taken something. And my biggest take-home at the end of the day with this last 15 to 20 minutes is really Sometimes it's not just about moving ahead and just um, throwing everything you have and moving ahead. I think we have to also look at the people that is around us. If we want to go fast, we go it alone. But if we want to go far, do it together. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the gist of what you're trying to say. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank uh, you. Thank you everyone for listening in in today's episode of Phoenix Rising where we talk to EU members across Asia-Pacific in their stories and how are they getting through these times, how are they thriving, how are they surviving, or really, how are they as people. So thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you guys and listening to you guys in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to an EO APAC production. If you enjoyed today's episode, do hit subscribe and share it with your friends and family. I look forward to sharing with you the next story of a Phoenix Rising.